Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. This episode is in two halves. The first bit is all about my daily drive, my Toyota Sora. And the second part is another performance by Professor Stanley Unwind. As he would put it, a shortly diversion on the history of motoring sport. Which, believe me, is the entire story told right here. Well, later. And at the end of this episode, I've got a brand new Gareth Jones on Speed tune for you, loosely in the style of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. However, before both those things, I sometimes get messages from listeners who want to know more about a car I've mentioned many times over the years here on the show, my Toyota Sora. So I recorded my thoughts about it whilst driving it from my home in northeast London and heading westward through central London's dense traffic. This is the story of my Toyota Sora. I bought the car in 1999, I think. It may have been 1998, I'm not certain. The car is a 1994 Toyota Sora 3.0-litre some people say it's the GT. I'm not sure if that's actually its proper and formal designation, but it's a three litre straight six, not a V6, a straight six in this car. You can also get a 2.5 litre twin turbo version of the car. And there's also a V8 four litre version, which was the engine that was in the Lexus LS400. The Sora this one I bought when I was in Japan. I was working out there for the BBC. I was actually covering the Japanese Grand Prix for a feature I was doing for BBC Radio Wales a long time ago when I had my own Saturday morning programme on BBC Radio Wales called The Weekenders. I thought it would be a hoot to do a piece called The Welsh Grand Prix. But as there is no Welsh Grand Prix, I thought I'd do it at Suzuka and find out if there were any Welsh connections at the Grand Prix, which there were. There were plenty of people working in the pit lane who were of Welsh extraction, some even Welsh speakers. And there were lots of drivers who had connections with circuits like Pembry in Wales. I remember talking to Johnny Herbert about it. He used to race there a long, long time ago. And turned out to be a big Shirley Bassey fan. He sang some Shirley Bassey songs on the show for me. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. I was in Japan working with Violet and I planned to buy a couple of cars. Well, I planned to buy a car while I was out there and ship it back to the UK because at the time, personal imports made an awful lot of sense. So that's what I did while I was in Kobe, staying with Violet's sister, we went over to Osaka to a car auction. Car auctions are very organised in Japan. When you buy a car from a car auction, you get a digital screen with all the details of the car in it, what grade it is, every single bit of information. And I'd seen the Lexus SC300 and 400 in America, which is essentially, not exactly, but essentially the same car as the Toyota Sora. And I knew that if I bought one in Japan, it would be a right-hand drive version of a car I'd really been smitten with and I'd seen it in left-hand drive Lexus form in California. Now, at the time, 
Toyota didn't sell cars branded as Lexus in Japan. They were all branded Toyota. I believe these days you can actually buy a Japanese Lexus, but in those days you bought a Japanese Toyota. And there were a number of companies in the UK importing Japanese domestic market Toyotas and rebranding them, rebadging them as Lexus when they arrived into the UK, which is something that Toyota UK and Lexus UK really didn't approve of at all. I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't bother rebadging my car. It was a Toyota Sora. That's what it was. And that's what it said on the documents. So that's what I kept it as. I bought the car at an auction. I think, if memory serves, I paid the equivalent of five and a half thousand pounds for it. And at the time, it was about five years old, four years old. It's a 94 Sora. And it had about 60,000 kilometers on the clock, which is about 40,000 miles at the time. And I'm just going to look at my odometer now. And it currently has, well, 195,000 kilometers on it. So that's about 120,000 miles. I can't do the conversion off the top of my head at the moment. But I have driven this car lots in the 18 years or thereabouts I've had it now. I've mainly used it for commuting between my home in North London and my family in North Wales or when I'm going up to North Wales to work or I used to work a lot in Leeds so I drive up and down the motorway to Leeds in it and when Violet and I got together we had two kids very quickly so this has been a family car for that entire period and I have to confess that my children did use it as a vomitorium when they were very little <laughs> really so it's an honest car I think if you were looking at it or reading its spec these days you know it's a little bit tatty actually it's quite tatty in terms of bodywork but in terms of engineering it's pretty good the engine still runs genuinely smoothly the suspension is still pretty smooth it's got a couple of buzzes and rattles and bumps i think a couple of baffles have worked themselves loose in the exhaust over the years so it does have a little bit of a buzz and occasionally when i have the brake pads replaced there's always a bit of a clunking from the brakes and i have to take them back to the people who fit them and say can you just tighten them up and they have to sort of tighten them up but there's no clunking at the moment there's a bit of rattling here and there i mean it's an old car but i always remember when I took this car home for the first time to North Wales and showed it to my adoptive mother, Barbara, she got in the car and as she closed the door, she watched the cantilever hinge of the door operate. Then she opened it again, pushed the door and watched it and closed it again. And she turned around to me and said, Gareth, this car is very well engineered. She had a brother who was a steam train engineer. So she'd been brought up in Manchester surrounded by engineers and so she really appreciated engineering and it's true this car demonstrates a period in toyota's history when they were trying to prove that they could do what the likes of mercedes and jaguar do build a well-engineered almost luxury car and when they got this right and started releasing it as a lexus you could argue that toyota had achieved that ambition of creating a luxury car. Lexus have a tremendous reputation for quietness and smoothness and well-engineered cars. 
I don't know the figures, but I'd argue there's probably as many Lexus, and I include my car in that, from this period, late 90s, still driving around today as there are Mercedes, and probably more than BMW have managed to keep going on the road. It really is a top car. Pun intended, I did mean that, honestly. It did let me down once, this car, quite early on, although to be honest, I think I let the car down. I drove up to Leeds when I was doing the Big Bang with Violet once, and I had been doing it in my Lancia HPE and then my Saab 900, but when I got this, I was going up to Leeds, and like a dutiful, proper car owner, I checked the oil and water beforehand, topped up the liquids and put plenty of fuel in and drove up. And then, round about Derby, I suddenly noticed temperature gauge was flying on the car. Bit of a concern. Slowed down and the temperature now was still flying and had an awful lot of steam appearing from under the bonnet. So I slowed right down, got to the next uh, junction, exit, hang on, wait for this ambulance. Got to the next motorway exit and took it, you know, within half a mile. Pulled up by the side of the road, stopped the car, and there was now volumes of steam coming out from under the bonnet. And I opened the bonnet, which you know, I know is something you're not supposed to do. And I could see all the steam escaping from the cap on the radiator. Eventually, when the car cooled down, I could see that the cap wasn't on properly. When I topped up the water, I hadn't put the cap on properly, allowing pressure and steam to leave the cooling system and eventually the engine cooked itself. I got the RAC who pronounced the car dead there and then, shipped us to Leeds and eventually had the car relayed back to London. And it turned out that the engine was absolutely bricked. But I was able to source a replacement engine for it really easily. I can't remember how I did it, but I found a place in Stratford which had just bought a container load of Japanese domestic model engines. And they had a like-for-like -like replacement engine, a three-litre Toyota engine which had come out of I think the Aristo, which was what the Japanese called the Lexus GS300 in that market. So I bought it for, I think, £1,500 or £1,200 and had it fitted for about £500 by my favourite car place, who actually converted this car for the UK for me. Actually, it didn't need to do much, just put on some yellow indicator covers and give it a rear fog light. And that was technically it. It passed its MOT in the UK in those days. That was all you had to do to make it road legal in the UK. So I got a new engine with very similar mileage on it, if I remember. It was about 60,000 or thereabouts. I do remember thinking that the engine didn't run quite as smoothly as the one that I'd had in originally in it. But that was the only difference. Ever since then, this car has run like clockwork, for want of a better word. The only other thing that caused me problems with this car over the years is when I parked it, 
we went on holiday to Egypt and we parked it in a long-term car park offered as a package where you stay in a hotel overnight by I think it was Luton Airport and you park your car and I park it in a gravel car park next to the hotel this is the deal it was a good deal overnight hotel long-term parking cheaper than parking at the airport when I came back after our I think 10 days or two weeks in Egypt over Christmas the car was sitting in water up to its axle it wasn't a very well drained car park and that water had somehow affected the rear left-hand caliper on my car and I noticed from then on occasionally my rear brake caliper would be sticky and I had to sort of pump the brakes to release it and I had a couple of occasions where it wouldn't release so I had to call the RAC and eventually they prized it open and I had some work done and the caliper replaced and new brake pads and since then it's been fine but apart from that and the fact that the air conditioning compressor has died over the 18 years I've had the car that's all I can report in terms of things that have gone wrong with this car it has never let me down touch vinyl in any other way like all cars sold in the Japanese market it's limited it's got a governor which prevents it from doing more than 112 miles per hour and I've never had that limiter removed so I've always driven the car at relatively sensible speeds in terms of performance I don't really honestly know because I've never clocked it but I would imagine that the 0-62 on this car is probably somewhere in the region of about I don't know 8 seconds something like that 8.5 seconds I'm guessing I'm really am guessing I'd have to look it up I know it's going to be quicker than the speed that you get from a Lexus GS300 because it's a lower, more aerodynamically efficient, lighter car probably with different gearing as well because it's more of a sports car than a limo barge and in terms of economy this car consistently over the years has given me 24 miles to the gallon no matter what I do, whether I'm in town whether I'm on the motorway going quickly or whether I'm driving quickly on A roads 24 miles to the gallon not a super economical car not at all but you know not bad performance really you expect something like this from a car of this age I suppose there are many things I like about this car its handling its smoothness its quietness the fact that when I bought it Violet described it as a 140 mile per hour listening machine we say 140 mile per hour because that's the speed it would do if you had the governor removed i never have and it had a tremendous it still has a tremendous sound system and very often when i get cars on review i often think that the sound system in those cars simply isn't as good as the one in this car there are many who are like that aston martin that had an incredible bang and olufsen system but very often it's just not as good as what was in this car many things I like about it the huge sunroof which I've got open at the moment allowing lots of cool air in the digital instrumentation very Star Trek 
it does remind me something about the dash of this car that bit behind Picard in the next generation Enterprise D you know that big arch that Worf and before him Tasha Yar stood behind something about the dash the colours and the shape that remind me of that but there again I do think about Star Trek all the time other things I like about this car well the badge I don't know if this is one of the things that really tipped me towards this car because I loved it when it had Lexus badges in America when I saw it in California but when I saw the Japanese version the Sora is a lion with wings that sits on the very bonnet that logo of the car but it's red and at a glance if you look at it it doesn't look like a red lion it looks like a red dragon something very heraldic about it and you know as a Welshman I've always wanted to own a Gilbert, a car which had a red dragon on the bonnet well this is probably the nearest thing you could buy a red Sora winged like a dragon sometimes I like to imagine it is a red dragon this really is a Welsh car I suppose it is it's been owned by a Welshman for 18 years I remember when I first drove this car, I'm going to close the roof now, it's getting a bit windy. I remember when I first drove this car and changed it into power mode rather than normal mode and turned the overdrive off. I felt it was like an elegant Victorian woman gathering up her petticoat and full dress lifting it up slightly, exposing her ankle so that she could run quickly. It's kind of like that. It's not instant acceleration. It takes a moment to gather up its stuff, but once it does, it just keeps going. And I do remember carrying Andrea Lewis, singer from the Darling Buds. Andrea was my co-presenter on the weekenders, my Radio Wales programme. I remember sitting here in the car once and accelerating on the motorway in the way that I normally do and I don't think she'd experienced anything other than four-cylinder acceleration before and this big continuous pull that this car does as a six well up into its top range it was something that actually made her grab onto the grab handle by the side of the car and go Gareth slow down I don't think I was driving particularly fast but I was accelerating quickly it's not the most agile of cars, it's not a sports car, but neither is it a show barge, because if I've got this right, the front suspension and the engine for this car is from the Lexus GS300, but the rear suspension is from the Toyota Supra, because it's a coupe, this car, it's a sporting GT coupe. Not an out-and-out -out sports car, but it's certainly got a back end that tucks around far better than you might expect from a car of this length. And I love the way this car drives. And if I do want to have fun, I can select power rather than norm. 
and it keeps me in a lower gear. It doesn't make a huge difference, but it makes enough of a difference that you notice it. And also I can turn the overdrive off as well. Now that really makes a difference. I've then got a car which accelerates like a bat off a hell and is very nimble in terms of performance. The rest of the time, it's a smooth, sort of Jaguar-esque, Mercedes-esque sort of coupe. It really is a smooth, lovely thing. And it's quite generous in terms of space as well. I've got two teenagers now. They're almost exactly the same height as me. I'm five foot ten and a half. I'm not even six foot. And they can still fit in the back, but one of them likes to sit in the front now. And Violet, who's only five foot five, she's happy sitting in the back. And the kids never complain in terms of legroom. But the great advantage of a two-door coupe like this is you get a big boot. It's got a gigantic boot, this car. We used to go camping in our, I don't know, five-person tent in this car. Admittedly, we had to jam the back seats full of sleeping bags and camping chairs, but the camping equipment would all fit in the boot. I'm very fond of this car. I've had it a very long time, and it is time to move it on, simply because I've had it so long, and it gets ignored a lot of the time, and the day it comes to selling it, I will regret. I've invested a lot of emotion in this car. Having had this car for so long, it reminds me of pivotal moments in my life. Uh, they say that you shouldn't form emotional relationships with pieces of engineering, but I have with this car. And it will always remind me of some of the greatest moments of my life. The birth of my children, my children growing up and throwing up all over the car and Violet and I going from that period of just being a pair of young lovers to being a family together. And this car has delivered me all over the country. Wales, Scotland, Yorkshire and safely too. I don't think I've ever had a near miss in it. I've had a couple of parking dings in town. One caused by a Ford Scorpio, which parked badly next to my house once. And I knew when he got out, I thought he's, he's gonna dent my car. And he did, he put quite a crease in the side, which I've never had fixed. I don't know why. I've had other priorities. No excuse having a car for 18 years. I did try and sell this car to one of those webuyyourcar.com people a few years ago, but I never actually went through with it because they gave me a quote for the car that was low, and then when they asked for more details for the final quote, I sent them a bunch of pictures and they dropped the quote to something below what I believe was fair for this vehicle. Or the drop was greater. The initial price I thought was fair, but the drop I think was unfair. So I elected not to sell it. I will probably put it on eBay one day. And if you do see the advert on eBay, if I do sell it, and you do listen to this there, you've had the full providence of this car. Maybe one day I'll tell you about the other car I bought at the same time as this. I bought two cars. I bought a Suzuki Cappuccino, which I kept for three or four years drove with great gusto around London and eventually when I realised being a family man there was no point having two cars when one of them was only a two-seater 
and I sold that car at a profit. I know I'm not going to make a profit, I don't expect to make a profit from this car, but neither has it cost me very much when, if I remember the full cost of getting it on the road in this country, including shipping from Japan and paying VAT and getting it in MOT, I think this car cost eight and a half thousand pounds. And frankly, the cost of buying an equivalent import of a Lexus SC300 would have been closer to £28,000 so that's a pretty significant saving. This car owes me nothing and I owe it a great deal. I love my Sora. Stanley Unwind presentee and shortly diversion on the historicals of motoring sport. In the beginning of the beginning, there was a word. Gentlemen, startle your engines. But before that beginning, there was another. Once a Polytito, there was a caveman. And at the same time frame, there was another, all gruff and forehead Neanderthal man or woman, who together rolled down a hill a great stone to see which one would squash it a tusky hair mammoth first. And so was born Wheelie Sport, the motherload of motoring sport. However, without an infernal congestion motor, only downhill slopey plunge racing could be an occurrence. And so, trickly how, tock up down the hill they came with bone, hammer, stone, hair and electric, albeit 44 years and two million later, Homo erectile functioned and motor. Now, this motor was an engine made of wood, later coal and superheated heat, forcing the reciprocating pistol to thrusty pump in an epicyclic rotating boost. Thus, forwardly on flatland, mankind steamed, only to be overtaken by equine, bovine, even gastropode. Oh, folly. And then, suddenly, in 1899, and then again in the afternoon, the Count Gaston de Chasseloup-Lobat turned up on a starting line. And this was the very first starting line ever to start from the starting line. Driving a great bullet-pointy cylindy tube with not three, but two motors. And these were made out of electric. And so it was that the fastest electrical motoring cart in the world was the fastest motoring cart in the world. But when telling historic loads from the future, the past can happen after before the futuring. And so a few years earlier, the Petit Journal, which is lingua franca for Le Petit Journal, wrote a French letter to all the Grand Prix drivers that there were. And there weren't any at this time. The letter said, come to a Grand Prix. Luckily, the Frenchists had already invented most the worm Grand Prix, which meant all motoring cars a racy crash splutter. This race came without circuitry, indeed, yes, no. It occurred on French pubic roads, Vroom Boulevard and Avenue de Long from Paris to Rouen via Rouen. And so it was that in Frenchington this was allowed. But in England, the Queen God bless her said, A man with a red flag and a hat has to run in front of a cart, shouting, Look out! Look out! 
And so, in all of Great British land, apart from the Isle of Tinsel Manor, where TT and even TTTs take place on pubic high roads and lavatories, even to this day, it was not allowed to speedulate or hoonie most on the Queen's High Road. Oh, no, indeed. Instead, Lord Sir Prince Charles said, What ho! And with Aristoclode Gold, built it a great land of his own for racing brooks on, and named it Brooksland. And in these days, there was a great explosion of engineering, and not just in a cylindy pot at 4,000 revolutions, no. Like a big banger, Petri Motors suddenly expanded Mandy and got more, some as large as 57 cylinders and 15 leakers. Now, at Brooklylands, racing was in a circumcision, with a quick bank all the way round. This being made probable by the velocity of the velocettes in causing century fungal special effects, so a thrusting Bentley would have sideways stick and enjoy a bit of banking without top for lollop tumble blunder. The greasiest of all motoring kart races started in 1923, and by half past seven it was still going. That's because it was Le Van Tracteur Ur du Mont. But despite the name, it was a car injury race for one day and one night, or 23.12 hours, whichever comely first. In this form of length running, great revolutions came, such as disco breaks, reliability, and health and efficiency. What is it they say? Never mix it motoring sport and politicking. But in the 1930s, Adolf Schlickelgruber Hilter said, Vorsprung Dirk Techniks. And so, the nasty war machine made a sporting cart using aluminium mode, super duper charger, and many silver arrows. In both Mercedes doesn't go round the bends, and of course, Audi's uncle, Auto Onion. But while Euroland was having a lovely war, in one of the Americas, racing took on its own fort. Racing on a ton of bricks evolve it out of moonshiters, saying, Come and get me, copper! I'm an ass car! And so, turning left became the game. Greatly most names of this time are Dan Gurney Flap, Jeff Gordy, Johnny Jimson, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhartle Jr., and of course, Dame Earnhartle Jr. Sr. In the early garage doors of the 1950s, Grand Prix became formulaed once, and for the first time, all cars were equal, apart from Ferraris, which were equal to Lancia's, but not as equal as Alfred Romeo's, particularly when the helmet was Juan Manuel Fangi. Now, Fangi was a special case, although Argentini, he won without any argy-bargy and just made many a Mazatode more quicklier than it was at the hands of Nino Ferretto. Meanwhile, in Little England, Jack Cooper, who would later invent most the barrel, and Jack Brabham, on loan from the Collinodes, were racing in low-slung canoes with tiny, tiny engines when one of the greatest heart attacks in engine hearing, Colin Chaplode, started questioning the fundamental moulds of the racing cart. Add cigarette lighters, he said, and with less cart, 
more sponsorship from Tabaki and the might and maybe of the fraud motoring companies built a engine that was not only a engine but also and engine that was an chassis. Lotus and Cotswold had a stressed member. This NG was so good it won all the races that there were and even some that there weren't, such as the Grand Prix of Revolta. Now, we all remember the 1917s for Harold Wilsonson's laboured government, Sweet, Mud, Nobby Holder's Slabe and Larry Gritter. And on the tracks, it was come on, feel the aerodynamics. Yes, pacing carps had grown wings, or now like birdie tweets, and in some cases, like tall tea trays, all sticky up and fragile oh dear me. But throughout all this time, the great advantage came not from side pods, but from the sideburns of Jackie Stewpot Stewart, oh yes. As Jackie herself would put it, You must caress an autocart like a softly lady carrying the pinky pongy testicle in a bowl on the bonnet. But the gravest bottle between racing giant ants was between Inglymost James Shunt the Hunt and Knicky Loudly, as they both climbed the ladder of the Nürburgring, or as it's known Germanly, the Nordscheid. One of the Marlboros on Loudly's Ferrari caught fire and he had the dragon's breath, or as the medicals call it, flamethrower, bronchy black rider. Then the late 70s came fourth and fifth, with the six-wheel Cyril and the Brabham Fanny car. As the 17s became the 80s, Formula One engaged it with the Turbot era. Now, this is a cyst where the exhaust air gives up its exhaustion to spin a rotary blade which congresses the air into a pressure higher than a pressure cooker and makes the engine who's exhausted in the first place spin more fastly than it wanted to and often was warranted to, resulting in the qualificationary grenade bang of the Renault teapot. Deep folly indeed. These cars needed strong muscling drivers to muscle them, and so Britain's Nigel Muscle muscled many wins for Birmingham with a moustache and eyebrows, again proving that faecal hair is a centibowl for fast pilotry. It was the McLaren buggy which dominated the 1990s back in the early 80s when together Ayrton Proust and Alan Senapod fought chase after chase for Ron Denny's next cart. And what a cart this would be, powdered by Japan's Hondi before they were deep folly. The MP4 slash MP4 was made of Greta Garben fibres and Gordon Murray mints, and employing Colin Chapstick's underskirt and downed effect, sucking the robe like a slover pig resulting in Ron Denny winning more races in a Formula 1 season than there were in a Formula 1 season. Turbots were the way forward, and in the late 1990s they were repleted by naturally aspirational engines of three and a half leeches. This meant Alan Senapod now had to wear blue and drive a red old. Sadly, in 94, when one day at Imola Quirk City in San Marino in Italy, which isn't in Italy, the most immortal of all racing drivers, Roland Raxenbergler, was no longer immortal, 
and conveniently forgotten. Naturists abhor a vacuum cleaner and the grid space left behind the void was filled by a new kind of Deutsche Mensch who raised the level of athleticisms in carpets to the length of his chin and the height he could jump on the podium. And yet Mikey Supermacher was challenged by two Diffie men. One and Finn from Flying Finload, Mika Hackenberger, all throaty puncture and sisu, the other Damien Hill, son of course of F1 champion load Graham Garden. And in the worms of Mudley Talker, and I've got to stop now because I've got a punk in my coat. By the 200s, now came a great new kind of sporty scrotal type. Oh yes, big Audi Dynamite made and pump deuce diesel compressi motor, winning lemons many times with pilotodes such as Tom Christiansen, Dindo Acapella, and Alan McScottish. Today and this morning, motory sport has brought freshy challenges. Louis Hamilton, Nico Rosborg, Jensen Buttoff, and Fernando is quicker than you, Fernando, and the velvet undergrowth, Sebastian Vittles. All drivers in cars with re-energy convergence and farty whisper exhausts. Stop mumbling, I can't hear the cops. Motory Spurt always has one ear on the footer, whether it be with the introductory of the Halo Jones, with the driver steer the car from the safety of an Xbox Constable, or even Formula E, not confusy with Formula E of the 90s. Anyone got any mirrors? Where the thrill of the steamy high combusty engines Replace it with the sound of the Humboldt Sinclair C5 on spin-tumble cycle. And yet, ultimatum, where will all the racing go? With YouTubular and on-demandable streamy? With anti-social mediums, no doubt. The sun will come up over a brave new Stoffel van Doornob, who will set out to stop Max for starting. And in the nearest far flung, the technology that will stop them starting will be autonomy drivers driving, robot racing, using Android architecture of crash and hang, control, alt, delete, folly. But in all the possible of what might manifest most in the world of motoring sport, one thing will always be there. The desire to watch and Bugatti, Ferrari, Lamborghini or Aston Marty, all adverty stickered, skidding off into the Gravadlax, ruled by the mop-haired and short legacy of the kink of all racy cars. Bernie Ecclestone. He was there at the beginning, saying the word, in the beginning. That's it for this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed. Thanks for listening. I hope you understood Professor Stanley Unwind. If you didn't, the text of his lecture is published on the page for this episode on my website, garethjones.tv. Please, to keep Gareth Jones on Speed going, do publicise that you listen to the show, share episodes on social media, and if you've got any pals who like cars and nonsense, do tell them about the programme in case they haven't already heard of it. 
I'll leave you with a tune. This one's loosely in the style of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, or in my case, the Right Hot Silly Poppers. This one's called A Go on Your GTO. See ya.
see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>